Welcome back to the Weekend Warrior Show Recap Podcast. I'm Ty from the Unemployed Architects. This week I'm sitting down with my good friend Jeff Easton. So um, he's a longtime friend and pretty much engineered or what would you say engineered or produced? So I don't know what the difference is. Uh, I suppose you could say a little bit of both. Right. I mean, I I would say produce probably just because I feel like, especially at this point, I mean, you, you, you kind of have a lot of input and I, I feel like I try to take that, you know, with a, with a lot of more than just a grain of salt, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, see, you, you've done a bunch of studio engineering and I'll say producing for, you did the whole design to shine album. And then you've done some kind of random stuff for me here and there. And then we just did the song Montauk. So, so uh, I, I was going to start kind of uh, like how we met. Uh, I mean, we went to high school at the same high school, right? Um, yeah, I think so. That was like <laughs> 80 years ago. It, d- so, it does uh, seem yeah. like a long time ago. It does seem yeah. like a long time ago. But... Um, you played with Blair, actually, a lot in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was kind of like a one-year, one-off thing for the classic high school talent show kind of stuff. And then there was a show at, I think, um, the rec center in Pontiac. Rec Blair. center. I remember yeah. that show very pretty vividly for it being so long ago. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That was like a legit production. And you guys had, I mean... Who all was in that band? It was you, Blair, uh, Mike Schiff. Um, was, was it Josh? Frizzell? Josh, um, sorry, what the last name started with a B. Uh, Brantley? Josh Brantley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, he was a Dairy Queen crew. I remember he used to work with Blair right. over at the DQ. Right. And with Big D, which is kind of, you know, ties it all yeah. together a little bit. Yeah, Dairy Queen and Pontiac Illinois has uh, pumped out a lot of world-class drummers. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then, yeah, so that that was pretty much the whole band then. And you guys did a lot of covers, I remember. It was, um, you, did, I, I have this uh, memory of you guys doing a lot of Jimmy Eat World. If, if that, is that correct? Yeah, I I don't know if we did a lot. I know we did their whatever their main hit was. Um Ble- I can Bleed hear America it. or yeah. something. Yep. <clears throat> so yeah, I think there's some Jimmy Eat World in there and uh All American Rejects, I think. Oh, um, I think we did uh, Neil Young. What Neil yeah, Young did yeah. you do? I wouldn't have appreciated keep, that. Yeah, at all, keep but, on yeah. keep on rocking in the free world, right? Oh, nice, yeah, nice. And classic. Of course, Leonard Skinner. All of the um, <clears throat> as far as the classic rock, the you know the uh, if you go to the t-shirt section at Kohl's, um, all those bands for the classic <laughs> rock, and then we played some of the more modern, um, I guess, rock, pop rock, yeah. pop punk pop kind rock. of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing you guys at the talent show at the high school, and you played that Bleed America song, and I just remember it, it pretty much killed. I mean, it was, it sounded good. You guys had a lot of good musicians. Um, but that's not primarily even the kind of music you were into at that point, right? 
Um, <clears throat> uh, depending on how you define into, um, it didn't really bother me. But uh, right. you know, in my in my free time, I was, you know, mostly listening to. Um, <clears throat> I'd probably say like Tool, Pantera, um, some a little bit harder stuff, older Metallica stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> and. Uh, I actually remember yeah. your brother at the high, at the talent show one year doing a, what was the Tool song that they the one that everybody plays on bass, uh, Schism, right? Yeah, that was me, uh, my brother Josh. He sang. Yeah, Adam McArdle on bass. I think that was his name. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Casey Frizzell on drums. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that that's that even was... earlier. Yeah, I I have pretty vivid memories of that that talent show because we we really we it? really practiced it and um <clears throat> i just remember being on stage and playing it and just having a moment um on stage while we were playing and um Casey Frizzell he's such like a power drummer right. in in a good way uh he you know, he, he just hits the drums and the way he hits the drums and kind of softly hits the cymbals. I just remember it sounding so powerful. And that song is such a drum heavy track. I mean, the, the drums are in most, in most tool songs, the drums are the primary kind of instrument that drive the song. Right. Yeah. And I just remember in that talent show, just the, the song on guitar was pretty basic. Right. I mean, uh, it was, there, there's nothing really complicated other than a few kind of time signature swips, um, switches that might uh, trip you up. But I just remember being on that stage and, uh, you know, that was just me listening to uh, Casey Frizzell play drums for six or seven minutes. And I just have a very <laughs> vivid memory of just, wow, this, you know, this drummer is amazing and this room just sounds really good right now. And uh, I wish we had a, a video of that. I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to Please see that. Visit, yeah. Mm. You guys did respect by Pantera, if I'm recalling correctly, too, at that. So I oh, yeah. at that point, I wouldn't even have known you very well. So I probably didn't even because I, I knew Josh from wrestling for from forever, you know. Um mm. since freshman year. And then, you know, I heard he was gonna be in the talent show. So that would have been a ye- probably a year before because when you started playing with Blair, I think is when I probably started to you know know you a little bit better but um yeah so you put you played respect by pantera too is that correct yeah uh, i forgot about that but yeah that's that's definitely true so i i it's just an interesting thing because i, I like for i wasn't really into that kind of music at all but that performance definitely stood out in my brain for some reason. I mean, obviously I knew Josh, like I was saying, but I mean, Mm -hmm. in that talent show, I don't think there was any other like band bands that, you know, I don't know that, that really kind of knew how to play more. I don't know. It just seemed like better than a high school talent show performance. (laughs) Not that I had a super amazing reference or anything. Cause I mean, I hadn't even, I mean, what year would would you have been a like sophomore or junior? Well, Blair was, yeah, Blair was one year ahead of me. 
my brother, when my brother was two years. My, yeah, my brother was two years ahead of me, so I would have been a uh, junior or uh, his ju- uh-huh. it, sophomore. Yeah, freshman is first. Uh, man, this high school stuff is uh, <laughs> tripping me up. Yeah, so freshman, yeah, so I would have been a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So I would have been probably a freshman at that point. So I mean, I had I had like almost zero experience playing in a band. I think at that point, but. Uh-huh. Anyway, I I do I that that one definitely sticks out and it's like I don't even I didn't even really like that kind of music but it still was like the performances were so good that you know I I remember it pretty vividly and I I was just like an observer. And then that next year when you guys did that uh or I don't know if it was the next year or a couple years later where you did that rec center show. I mean that's that's like a for that class of high school I think is a pretty memorable show because it was like you know we had we you had your two basic shows your fun fest your talent show maybe do like a battle of the bands in the summer or something but i mean there wasn't a lot of extra shows to play when you're in high school but you guys set up this show at the rec center and it was like a full production and it just you guys all just seemed like you knew what you were doing and that that was uh very impressive to me i guess um and I know Schiff, Schiff had a lot to do with that because he he's he did the Fun Fest when I was I think a sophomore, and he was like in charge of that production, and it was like crazy big and sounded good. It's like he knew because I had done some before then, you know, at the just like the talent show and no monitors, like right. using like the auditorium speakers. Mm-hmm. It w- <laughs> wasn't. It was very very like just whatever and then shift kind of came in and at that fun fest and just took it over and he like knew the right gear and what what you know having two stages and so i i would imagine he probably had a little bit to do with kind of that part of it i remember there being like fog machines and lights and uh you know i sounded good everybody played really well i don't know it was just a crazy memory i remember people crowd surfing i feel like yeah, there was definitely, I mean, as far as the, you know, production and, and logistics and um, sort of business side of all the fun fest stuff and talent show stuff, I don't, I don't remember being involved in that much, if at all. But I do remember, um, <clears throat> you know, around that time in Pontiac, there were just so many musicians and and music was such a central part of you know, Pontiac High School that, you know, I just I remember that being a big thing every year, um, not just for musicians, but for a lot of the non-musicians as well. Right. Well, and you did all, you were recording even back then, right? Like, I remember Blair showing me some stuff you had recorded for him, like, uh, I think with him, not for him. Um, um, but in high school, you were, you were engineering back, way back then, right? Yeah, that, um, definitely, yeah, I think I started recording stuff, um, probably either, like, you know, eighth grade or or freshman year in high school, and I'd say having the ability to record was probably my primary kickstart in terms of getting more heavily into music, because, um, it's kind of developed more of an appreciation for the craft. And it also helps when you're 
when you're learning as well to be able to record something and and listen back into you know try different layers and compositions as opposed to you know just sitting on a stool in your bedroom right. and just you know messing around and then that's that it's, it's over that was what i was, that was what i was a pro at just sitting mm-hmm. around and playing guitar in the bedroom and at weird uh you know high school parties just having a guitar in my hand I don't. I mean, I did some recording in high school, and I feel like I got my feet wet with it a little bit. But you know, when I listened to what I was doing in high school, and I listened to what you were doing in high school, and, and it was just like complete two different animals. I mean, you. you the, I feel like the professional soundingness of yours was, uh, you know, almost there then. So you, you had like a, a big like head start on getting into that stuff because I feel like you, you were good before you even went to school for it. Yeah, I, um, I definitely spent a lot of time. Um, I, I lived out in the country and this was before YouTube. I, I'm not sure if we had dial up internet back then, but even if we had dial up, it really didn't matter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of my junior high years and, early high school years before I, you know, got a car. I just lived out in the country and from, you know, friends didn't have cars and you didn't have all the distractions and that you have today, you know, with internet and TV. So just cell phones was, in general. There's yeah, just cell so phones many, and that's so just what I did. You can do on them. Yeah. I mean, we had a so you, desktop computer you, and I just, that's, that's how I spent my time when I was bored. When did you start playing guitar? I want to say probably around sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. Um, I know my grandpa had bought my brother Josh a guitar, and we were both pretty heavy into Metallica, so I kind of watched him learn and play for about a year. And I actually started on bass, now that I remember Hmm. Um, since, uh, my brother played guitar, I had to do something different. So I was like, all right, I'm going to play bass. And, um, yeah, I learned, uh, played bass for about six months or maybe a year. I was like, nah, I'm going to play some guitar. And, uh, and then Tony plays as well too, right? Like you guys all are guitar players. Yeah. There's, there's quite a bit of musicians in my family, extended family. It's, um, both both sides by both sides of my parents' family. There's a lot of musically inclined people, um, so there just must be something about uh, must be the water. Yeah, something in the water or the uh, yeah the birth certificates. I, I I do have. I mean, not. Uh, I I just uh, I I feel like for some reason you seem to progress through. I mean, I Josh and Tony I've seen play guitar, and they're both probably better than I even am at guitar. But um, watching like you, I feel I don't know if it's like the 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 music you grew up with, or I don't know. It just feels like you have like a different mind for that than uh, most guitar players I know, and. Uh, I don't know if that's like getting into the technicality of like recording or if it's, you know, just the music you grew. I don't know. It just seems like you took it to a different level than those guys. 
Um, <clears throat> well, I can't can't really give you a uh, comparative analysis, so to speak. But um, <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> I guess I'll say, as far as the way I approach music, is not really anything different than how I tend to approach other things in my life. Um, I've always kind of been a person that just likes to look at patterns and solve not really problems, but try to find like hidden meanings in things, so to speak. Um, kind of the intuitive, um, structures involved. So whether that's through, you know, software development, which I do as my primary job, you know, there's a lot of patterns and logical constraints and structures um, algorithms, right? And a lot of that also applies to music. You know, music is a lot of, there's a lot of sort of algorithms in music. When you look at um, scales and how you can go up and down scales, um, it's, it's, it's very randomly, or it's, it's, it's very rarely random, right? When you hear complicated passages um, played, whether they're complicated chord passages or whether they're um, types of phrasing on scales, like a diatonic phrase. Um, there's always some kind of pattern or some kind of algorithm that allows them or allows the person to have a sort of conceptual grasp on what they are doing. So it's, so it's not really just, I'm going to memorize 200 notes one by one by one. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, come up with two patterns or two types of phrases and then I'm going to repeat those phrases in a pattern so you kind of get this Lego, you know, building block of patterns, um, kind of algorithms and shapes. And I, I think uh, that's probably why I got so heavily into Tool or Progressive Rock, kind of some of the older Metallica stuff is because... Um, there's a lot of very unintuitive patterns involved in that kind of music. But I, at the I, same time, once you, once you discover the pattern and find the pattern and understand it, um, it starts becoming intuitive. So it kind of uh, forces you to kind of step out of your own uh, habits. And... Um, to me, to me, that was that was exciting. Being able to always be challenged as a listener, and then once you finally figure it out, you kind of feel like you've accomplished something as a listener um, and a musician. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you have a different mind than a lot of guitar players. Right. I know, and I wasn't really saying that to you know, uh, you know, make you compare yourself to. Um, Josh and Tony, because they're like I haven't even seen them play in a long time, and I'm sure they're they're definitely better than I am. But it just seems like compared to any like most guitar players, I I think part of it too is you know I hang out with a lot of acoustic guitar players, but um, it just seemed like your your mind has a different wiring in a lot of ways. But I remember. Um, it would have been you. You you did a recording for Donnie and Ross, uh, the the California one. Do you mm -hmm. uh, can't morning something in the morning? I don't know. Um, 
morning sunrise or something yep. like that. I think. <laughs> yep. And and I remember hearing that and being like, who like who did this? And because <laughs> at that point in time, you know, I I had wanted to get something down better than I could do, like on uh, on my home recording. So. I remember hearing that and being like, I need to figure out who did this. And then they told me it was you. And I was like, man, he's, you know, he's really good. It sounds great. So then I reached out to you about maybe starting something in the in the recording. So that would have been, you know, we probably didn't really communicate too, mu- too much. Um, even in, I mean, do you, did we have a conversation in high school ever? I don't know if we did. Um, no, I don't, I don't remember us ever. I don't remember one time that, uh, I was in the same room with you and said something to you. So no. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. I think, I think we, I mean, obviously I've saw you perform a a good amount and I remember, like I said, I, uh, with Josh, I I feel like I went out to your house at one point in time and I, I may have, may have seen you in passing and you were playing guitar and. Um, but anyway, so then I hit you up about the money morning sunrise uh, after I heard that song, and uh, you were so I think it was Oxide Lounge. You were like interning there or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was just kind of yeah, sort of job shadowing, so to speak, there and. Um, interning a little bit um and then, and then yeah. uh we ended up and recorded the the art vandalay ep mm-hmm. with yep. you and that was uh you know that was kind of like we 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 had just done one song up in a big studio in chicago and it mm-hmm. was super expensive and we didn't know what the hell we were doing so um i thought it might be better to um Work work in maybe a local studio that wouldn't be quite as pricey and wouldn't have to drive two hours to, maybe mm-hmm. have a little bit more time. And then we had two two more of my songs and two of Blair's songs. And uh, do do you remember that process at all? I mean, it, it's it's a little foggy to me. <laughs> I remember being in the studio for sure, but uh, yeah, I remember. Um... Definitely remember that more than high school because this was <laughs> post college. I think I'd already graduated college. Yeah. So this would have been around, uh, yeah, 2010, 2011. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was fun. It was um, that, that room sounds great in Oxide Lounge. It's a, it's a great sounding room. And I think he had a, uh, uh, a Neotech Elon um, console there. It just sounded so good. And, um, I even, I, every now and then I'll, you know, get on YouTube and find those tracks. I'm not sure if you have them on Spotify. I'm sure you do, but, uh, those ones, I actually don't, those ones are just YouTube only. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I really liked, uh, the sound of that room and, uh, that was, that would have probably been my first kind of, if you want to put in quotes and call it a project, you know, where we had, you know, four or five tracks and we knew we wanted to make a kind of completed project, you know, um, and, um, 
Yeah, I remember, uh, yeah, we did Eat, Sleep, and Don't Die, Feeling Fine. Yep. Uh, aftermath. Mm-hmm. And... Completely closed. That completely closed, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we did some interesting stuff in there. I I do remember, um, I, I listening back on those, I, I feel like, I mean, everything you did was great. I just didn't know what my goal was. Like, I don't, I didn't have, like, ideal sounds for things. So I didn't, I, there was no way for me to really describe, you know, what, what I was searching for, you know? And, uh, I mean, they sound cool. I, I de- definitely remember Feel feel Fine turning out really cool. And if we wouldn't have done that giant intro on Eat, Sleep, and Don't Die, I feel like that one would have been even a little cooler, but... Uh, the, the, like when you get into the meat of that song, I feel like it sounds really, really good. And, uh, I don't know. I feel like just Blair was killing it. And, um, I I remember watching him do like some doubles for, for some songs and just being so amazed that he would play it so perfectly, you know, the, the first way and the second way. Cause I, (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I hadn't been asked to do that a whole lot, I think as a, as a guitar player. So it was interesting to see and his vocal performance in Eat Sleep and Don't Die. I just feel like he killed it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean looking back on that one, if if you're wanting to, you know, look at I'm just saying you more generally, not you, but um you know, if if someone were to, you know, look at that EP from a critic standpoint in terms of like you know the 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 sort of mix quality and um compositional quality that kind of stuff and if you kind of like sit there and analyze it and you know try to judge it um yeah i I think there's definitely some things in there i would have done differently but at the same time you know I, i feel like when i listen to that there's a certain kind of raw spirit about that EP that I really like. Um, I definitely you know, we didn't, yeah, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time on the details and kind of going back to what I said about that room in Oxide Lounge. Um, I, I know we, we, we mic'd out, we mic'd out the amps. Um, we did the vocals in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I ended up sampling some of the, the drum tracks where I think, uh, I think some of the kick and snare samples were were a bit heavy, but there there's just something about that recording where it was uh there's there's just a sort of spirit about it and there's like a mid range and that, that mid range comes from that, that console in that room. And I, I just really like listening to those tracks because so so much of everything now is so pristine and mm-hmm. Um, the the high end on so much digital gear now is it's so just kind of sugary and perfect, right? Um, whereas you know part of that EP we were in a a kind of more acoustically built room on a on a real console, and I can definitely you know hear that sort of natural. I don't want to say warmth because that's overused, but there's there's something about the um, the phasing that comes from a good room, the phasing that comes from good consoles and, and using microphones. Uh, and I would say that that, that, that was really captured much, on that EP. 
I would say that that's very much Tony's style too. I mean, he just he likes that yeah. raw kind of sound. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I, I don't know. I got mixed feelings about about it. <laughs> Obviously, I think you know it's more me than any anybody else. And I, I, I uh, just that like I, I feel like I could have sang it better and I could have played guitar better and. The the only other thing that that bugs me about that is I would have I could have used a little bit more low end on the kick drum on a lot of those tracks, but I wouldn't have known what I was even trying to say, you know. So that's the stuff I think about when I listen to that. But I do really enjoy that feel fine song, even though I slightly think my vocals aren't great in it. But um, the overall just feel and vibe and sound and d I I for some reason. When I listened back to that, I really remembered these drum parts being like very surprisingly cool to me. Like I, it was almost like I hadn't listened to them very closely before, and then I got it like when it was down and recorded, I could listen to it more than being in the moment and just you know going with trying to play with them instead of just passively listening. And uh, I remember sounding very very cool. And then I think Blair's vocals just sound really really nice. I remember all the doubles in Eat, Sleep, and Don't Die had this, like, I know that this probably isn't <laughs> an amazing comparison, but for me, it reminds me of, like, the Michael Jackson vocals, like, the way the way his uh, he does his doubles and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just had, like, this really cool, like, effect of the, the, the hard doubles. But... Yeah, anyway. there's, um, I mean, you put on a put on a pair of headphones um and this is why in many in many cases why i tend to when i when i listen to music i i I, i'm sometimes drawn more to uh like great mixes than i am the actual songs like i'll you know if i'm working i'll you know i'll put on like you know go to spotify put on top 40 and just listen to you know a lot of the the kind of pop r&b stuff and um you know you mentioned like the doubling with you know the michael jackson thing Mm -hmm. is there's there are so many layers to great mixes that even if you're not into the song just hearing the quality um the sort of clever way of doing doubling and just kind of hearing how they have panned and um, uh, you can like appreciate you can yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I, I feel I find myself doing that a lot. It's kind of like kind of movies, you know? deep. huh? To me, it's, it's like kind of like movies. You know, sometimes you'll watch you'll watch like a, a superhero movie. And you're like, yeah, this story kind of sucks, you know. But wow, this you know cinematography is incredible. You know, or this these special effects are incredible, or you know this this movie just looks so good. Um, you know, I, I kind of a lot of times approach my listening habits the same way, where you know, yeah, put on you know a pop song or something, and you're like, well, the song I don't really feel the song, but wow, this is you know an incredible incredible production. And I think it just, you know, even with songs that you are into, if it's, you know, mixed well, I mean, I think that plays a big part of it. I feel like sometimes, 
you know, it enhances the music if it has like an, a really solid mix in a way that, I don't know, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have appreciated 10 years ago because I wouldn't have had like, know what I'm really listening for and stuff. But when I hear, go ahead. uh, I was going to say, it's just kind of interesting. When I, when I look at some of the albums that are my all time favorite albums, I've always found that the, the mixes are some of my all time favorite mixes as well. So, like, so like going back to the kind of the pop thing or the country thing, where it's like I, I don't care for this song, but it's like clearly you can you can listen to that song and say okay well, okay well for for what it is and what it's trying to accomplish, it's a great song. It's just not my you know, it, it just doesn't resonate with me, right? It's not your absolute favorite of all time. Yeah, I mean yep. it's like food. It's like food, you know, like uh, yeah. I I don't like this particular kind of food, but. I know it's made really well. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. because it makes me cringe so hard. And um, maybe that's not the right way of putting it, but uh, the point being is, the point being is, you know, I, I've always kind of found that the greatest mixes are always juxtaposed with the greatest songs because, you know, a, a great mix to me, requires a great song to begin with. And, you know, the the mix isn't anything except a perspective on the song. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can't change the song through a mix. And, you know, looking at some of my favorite songs, favorite albums, you know, I think, uh, you know, when you have a great song and you have a great performance, um, great sounding instruments in a great sounding room. I mean, the mix is just there to help, you know, guide the listener through it. It's not really, you know, if if you're listening to the mix instead of the song, um, I guess that could mean two things. One, you're just kind of a audio nerd, (laughs) you know, or two, you know, the mix is, uh, the mix is wrong, so to speak. Well, or the song, I, I, or, there, or there's issues with the song, right? But um, I just wanted to point out, you know, just to me, you know, the, I don't, I don't separate the mix from the song. Even if I don't like the song, I can still say it's an objectively good song, and that's why the mix is so good as well. Because you know, without a a good composition, doesn't matter. Yeah, the, the mix, the mix it, just but... doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I get I that that's that's one of the funny things about hanging out with you. I know I oh, know, I know. Uh, what you your your preferred music is, but I, that, like when we were recorded designed to shine, um there would there'd be times where I'd come in and you'd be listening to some pop song and I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> this seems this seems different." Um I don't I I wouldn't really I think there was like a Lady Gaga song one time that you were really liking the mix on, and you, you it just super. It was either that or watching. Uh, uh, I'd come in and you'd be watching a, like a drum, not tutorial. What what would you call that? Where it's just a, the drummer playing along with the song uh, that he yeah, recorded, so cover or something. Yeah, yeah. So it was either it was one or the other. It was like weird. Uh, very poppy kind of stuff, or like <laughs> either really dark, 
like heavy stuff or the the drum stuff. So it it, it was it was funny. Yeah, to, what I, you know, I liked playing stuff in between you know breaks because it it just kind of got me out of the tunnel vision. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's so easy when you're writing or recording or mixing or mastering. Um, you, you just get this tunnel vision, and I get the same thing. You know, if I'm doing software development and programming, where you kind of you're trying to sort of solve a problem or create something, and you spend two, three, four, five, six hours on it, and you find yourself all right. You're, you're sort of fighting it. You're trying. To, you're fighting the mix or the composition, or something's not really gelling right, or or whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes you just got to take a nap, so to speak, you know, listen to something else, you know, just get out of that tunnel vision. And usually we can kind of come back with more of a kind of beginner's mind, so to speak, you know, an empty mind. And, and it cleanses and the palate, right? Comes with what? It cleanses the palate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but yeah, that's either. why I, I do. I, I definitely like if you have a good set of speakers. Yeah, and I, I, I know people have phones or earbuds, and they listen on them. And not everyone, you know, really dives has, in. You know, has you know five hundred bucks to drop on some decent, you know, flat reference speakers or, or whatever it is. You know, it's uh, but man, if you if you just get the opportunity to sit down on a nice pair of like reference monitors and just listen. Um, listen to some of these songs that are produced in these, you know, New York Hollywood studios where they have like actual rooms and they're, and they're recording them on, um, you know, like an SSL console or something or like a Neve. Um, it's just, uh, it is just, it, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to experience if you get to really truly hear high quality audio um because so much so much of it is just lost in the way we consume uh, consume music which which is fine i mean it's um but you know it's there it's there's something to be said about high quality gear that um i think you know the vast majority of people have never really truly heard yeah, I think about that a lot. I mean, being anybody who records, I think you you run into that. Hey, Jeff, hey, I got to run to the bathroom really quick. I'll cut this part out. Hold on one second. Not leave it in. In the back. No. Are you still there? <laughs> yep. Didn't didn't lose you. All right. Nope. So yeah, what I was what I was saying was, uh, I think anybody who does any sort of recording, uh, eventually. You kind of run into that kind of thinking as like, you know, people oftentimes listen to, to music on just their cell phone speakers. And that's like, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, it's fine. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a way to consume music and it, you know, you can, you can definitely, I think, find some joy in that and people do do that. But I do, you know, I have a whole different experience with listening to a music than just cell phone speakers. I mean, I'm always on the hunt for, well, like really nice sounding headphones or speakers or, you know, trying to mix things different in my car to get the, you know, right balance. And I just think that that's a whole different, 
whole different experience that I don't know that a lot of people do or like take the time to do. Not that they have to or anything, but it, it's it's interesting to think about that. Like the way yeah. I like will put on my headphones, like a, some nice headphones that are like over the ear, really nice earbuds that mm-hmm. you know so- sound really good, and I'll just you know listen to music like while I do stuff or like work. Working out's a big part of that. I when I'm working out, I'm always trying to, because that like that awesome audio or that awesome mix that I hear, and these nice headphones, you know, will up the intensity of my workout by like, you know, twenty percent for like, it's like a steroid in some ways, so a performance enhancing drug in a lot of ways, and it, it's uh, interesting to think that not a lot of people probably do that yeah i think another aspect of it is you know there's the audio audio file aspect of it where you know it's the audio guy like wow these these speakers sound amazing you know what i mean and wow you know this microphone sounds awesome or, or you know whatever you want you know it's it's all about the gear or the general um texture of the the mechanical pieces going on right and of course that's valid um <clears throat> but it, to me it's also like the difference between watching a baseball game on TV and, and being uh being at the baseball game itself i think that's it, a really good comparison yeah when, when you are when you are listening to great mixes recorded in in great rooms with great gear and you're listening to that on just great speakers there's just a transparency about it um, that you are you are almost in the room with them, and, and I don't I don't say that in any kind of exaggerated way. It's you know the the, the purpose of high end gear is to capture all of the dynamics and to capture the room and to capture the performance as truly as possible, and then of course the speakers you know will try to output that you know, in, in, in the most kind of transparent way as possible. So, you know, when you listen to great artists who've written great music, who have performed, who have just have great performances well, that, that have that's been one captured thing. in studios, is when you listen to that on great speakers, you are getting as close as possible to being in that room, you know, with and those not, artists. And not just in the room. It's like in the room on if every musician was having like their best day of performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that you know brings it to such an even crazier level. You know, it's like the song expressed in like a perfect way or yeah. as perfect as possible. And yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, you know, and I, I think that that's kind of similar to, like, live live sound and live music. I mean, something people don't really factor in a lot of the time when they go and see a band is how, you know, how crazy that part of it can get. Mm-hmm. Like, live audio is a whole different ball game, and you're trying to do that same expression, like, in real time, which... You know, you get a lot more, I think, leeway with in the live than you do maybe in the studio. And that's because you have the visual part as well as the audio part. So when you're in the, the studio, it's like you have to try to bring up the audio part to to a whole nother level that would match the live experience almost, you know, of hearing a song. 
but without the visual part of it. So, you know, it, it's, and, it's a interesting thing. Yeah, there's get, there's some bands I can name right now, like Iron Maiden, um, for example. I, I listen to a lot of Iron Maiden, um, but Iron Maiden is just like a band that was like sent by God to play live shows. You know what I mean? Like as much yeah. as I love their records and I listen to a lot of Iron Maiden, a lot of, you know, recorded Iron Maiden from, you know, all the way back to like the mid eighties up to, you know, some of their stuff they come out with recently. It's all cool, but I still always prefer, I put on their live records. Um, they're like the greatest band I've ever seen live. And that was at Tinley Park. And I remember Tinley Park, even that concert, I was like, wow, this is the worst sounding venue I have ever can, been can in. I interject here? Like, can I interject one yeah. second here? Um, I've also had that same exact thought at Tinley Park. <laughs> I've yeah. only been to one show there. I saw a John Mayer there once. And um, it just was bad. I don't know. It was, I mean, it wasn't bad on the performance side of things but like i just it wasn't like a lot of live shows i've been to i don't know what it is about that place it's not yeah it it might be where you know where we were sitting you know if you're down on the ground floor if you kind of make like an equilateral triangle from there's the the two line arrays the the speakers that kind of hang you know on the left and right of the stage you make a you know equilateral triangle um you know, between the base of the stage to where you're standing, you know, that's kind of the quote ideal position to be in terms of you're getting the right balance of the direct speaker, um, the, the sound direct from the speaker and then the acoustics in the room, um, you know, combining and phasing in with that direct speaker sound. I I was kind of up, up and far away. So, you know, I don't know where you were standing, but I remember it just being like almost unintelligible. Um, I'm not sure if that was because I was drinking a lot, but, uh, I can say for certain I was not drinking a lot. Yeah. Okay. And so, we were, we were on the, like, we weren't on the lawn. We were, you know, a little bit in front of the lawn and lawn. actual seats. Yeah. But so we, we might've just been in some real crappy spots. You know, we were the, uh, we were the cattle pushing profits into the venue and sounds right, bad, right. but we were there, but, uh, but yeah, you know, you know, you're talking about how some, you know, sometimes live artists can't capture the recordings uh, in a live way. Well, you know, I the, the opposite mm-hmm. can be true for some bands. You know, some bands are just their power comes from the loud live environment, and you know, I think Iron Maiden is a definitely a prime example of that you know so like you know said about tinley park is that was the worst sounding concert i have ever been to but at the same time uh i saw it was iron maiden in 2010 uh, and dream theater opened up for him at tinley park it was the but it was by far easily probably the worst sounding concert i've ever been to but it was like light years i mean like literally like light years the the best concert i have ever seen and like because you know i knew all the songs and even it sounded so bad you know iron maiden has such a simple formula 
And that formula, just when it's played live and you have the energy of their front man, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson, it's it's like such a powerful formula that it's just when you watch it live on DVD or you're there in person, it's almost like a a mystical transcendental experience. Like you feel like you are in like a different wavelength, like for the full concert. And you and, and you just you can sometimes get that on recordings. Um, you can kind of, you know, get taken to kind of a different wavelength where you almost feel like you're in a. Uh, um, almost like a different reality, so to speak. Right. Um, but it's, it's the live shows for some bands where you, you really feel like it's, it's almost like a dreamlike alternate reality that well, I that, found that, for some bands that just, you just cannot capture on a recording because that's what they always you know, say about the grateful dead. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're notorious. Uh, at least a lot of the, I don't really. I'm not a huge. I've never d- really dived into the Grateful Dead or anything. But the the people I know that have usually say, you know, they're they don't do the studio stuff very well. But the live thing, the live stuff is kind of what it's all about. And mm-hmm. I think it, you know, not only does their music take you to another kind of a form of reality or another plane of reality, but obviously the, the big uh, hippie part of it too, you know, you're, you're going there anyway. So I, it's supposed to be very symbiotic, you know, uh, taking some illicit substances and listening to Grateful Dead. But, you know, I, I feel like that's why I got so into music anyway to like, I, I, I went to some live shows as a child essentially and i feel like i've you know i I, i've just been taken to a different place you know and i i I, I always you know it's like a a drug addict in some ways i'm always trying to hit that hit that same you know i'm chasing the dragon trying to get there with the recording and uh and i mean the same goes for performing live shows you know i've after watching so many people do it so well and you know be taken there i i want to i wanted to get there yeah. myself and yeah. uh you know i i feel like i have in a lot of shows but it's a constant search for trying to get back there and same for in the studio i mean i i feel like that that's definitely what i'm trying to do but it's it's yeah, a struggle it's, it's- um, yeah, I don't think that's really, I mean, if you're talking specifically about music, of course, it's a music thing. Um, but I think that's, you know, most art and most entertainment is, um, I, I, I want to say it's an escape because sometimes it's not an escape. You know, sometimes, you know, a film or art or a song um, can actually provide, you know, clarity to your life in a more real way than kind of you've been thinking about your life, you know. And I think, um, uh, you know, it's, you know, some people, uh, kind of get into that transcendental state watching a good movie. Um, some, some people, it's a really good video game. Um, you know, there are video games that just have amazing stories and amazing atmospheres. Um, and then of course you have music and live sound. And, uh, you know, I think that in, in many cases is, um, why people, 
I don't say why people listen to music or because there's there's a lot of different there's a variety of reasons, but I would say that that sort of feeling of being in a bit of a different reality has always been why I really enjoyed working with music, listening to music, and getting into mixing because you know there there's so many there's so many distractions in life now. Um, there's, there's always been distractions in life, but, um, you know, life is full of, full of problems. And I don't mean problems in a, you know, negative way, just problems you need to solve, um, whether they're positive problems or they're negative problems. And you can get so caught up in the kind of whirlwind of living life that, you know, sitting down and listening to a great record for an hour or watching a great movie for an hour and a half can take you out of that, um, that kind of block of cement. Kind of yeah, it's kind of up, funny. You know, it, it, it's, it's like what you're saying when you're mixing and you need a break, you need an ear break to cleanse the palate and kind of mm-hmm. so you can refocus. I think what you're describing is like, that using mixing like a metaphor for life and art being the ear break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you know when you're when you're when you're working on music, you know I think a lot of people, a lot of people who don't write music or you know work on films or you know produce entertainment, you know they they might think like, wow, wouldn't that be such a you know a great way to you know, live life? It must be so fun. You know, but that, you know, creating art, um, creating music, film, all that stuff, it's, you know, it has the same baseline level of problems. You know, there, there's a lot of problems you need to solve. And unless you're just so incredibly gifted that it just flows right through you and you don't have to think about it. I mean, there's, it's work. There's a lot of work involved in it, you know. So when you're actually, you know, in the studio, you know, or you're at home and you're writing music, and you are you're mixing um it's it's a lot of work and sometimes you need to take a break from that just like you know some people need to take a break from uh you know if they you know work in a corporate office or something they need to take a break to go listen to music you know if you're working around music six eight hours a day watch a marvel movie right yeah yeah it's um you know I, i don't think i don't think any form of art or any form of work, um, you can just keep doing. I, I think any any aspect of life, you know, you need variety. There's kind of impermanence. Eventually, the more you do something, the more you're going to start kind of, I don't want to say hate it, but you're going to want to do something else, right? And, you're going to uh, treat it like a job to the point where it becomes as mundane as any other job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... You know, music is always um, relative to the person in terms of, you know, why, what is my motivation for either A, listening to music or B, creating music. And and the motivation is always kind of relative to your day-to-day problems. Like I said, both positive problems and negative problems. And, you know, music is, you know, just kind of a tool, um... Well, I, I, I think I, I sometimes get confused when you say a positive problem, but then 
now I'm thinking of it like music would be a positive yeah. problem. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. trying to yeah. figure out like a mix on something and like what's wrong with this mix. Like that's a problem I'm trying to solve, but it's a positive problem. That just yeah, for yeah. Me. So I wanted to, I wanted to clarify. Yeah, I guess. Or just something like, um, you know, I have to, I have to eat this evening, so I need to figure out, you know, what, what I'm going to eat. You know, it's, it's like a positive problem, but it's 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 a problem you need to solve. And you know, every every day is a collection of problems that you're always trying to solve as a you know a human being, and um, you can get so caught up in the routine of problems that. Um, you know, certain pieces of art can present you a temporary escape from having to solve those problems and, you know, let you look at the, look at life in a bit of a different way. Yeah. But so the big rabbit hole we went down. I'm not sure uh, where we were going with this, but, uh, I, I, I like it though. Yeah. I've been interesting yeah. there. Um, so when we came, when we, when you moved to Eclipse to start doing some recording, and we came in with uh, 16 tracks of music to try and record. Uh, I just wondered what you were thinking when we, we... Were you thinking that was a good idea or a bad idea? Or like, oh, we won't do all these, so it's not a big deal? I mean, did you have any thoughts like that? Um, Not really, no. I don't, I don't remember looking at the number and judging or kind of predicting it um in any way you know i just i wasn't sure you know how much i mean anybody can put out a record with 15 or 16 tracks if they just you know we're gonna do two or three takes and you know it is what it is you know throw up a quick mix you know it's just kind of um you know to what degree were you going to uh or, you know, were we going to sculpt, you know, all those tracks? And I think we ended up um, <clears throat> spending a lot of time kind of chiseling away at them, you know. Yeah, um, yeah definitely wasn't details. my mentality to just try to n- knock them out quickly, mm. which may may or may not have been a mistake. I don't know, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard because... So much of, at least for me, you know, when the kind of, is it, I don't know if muse is the right word, but it's, it's fleeting, you know, when you, or when, when I'm in the mood to write something, um, it's, it's a very fleeting thing. So, you know, it's hard to keep like a three or a four or a five year muse, so to speak, you know, and capture capture a sort of focused expression um yeah we ended up doing three years on design to shine but i mean it was it was spread out it wasn't like consecutive like weeks or anything wasn't like we were you know working every day day in day out for three years it was like you know twice or three times a month maybe four to eight hour sessions depending on what we were doing and, uh, you know, then the mixing process came along. I think we probably got most things tracked in about a year, but um, the actual, like, mixing and adding in auxiliary instruments and 
I don't know. I just had like more like a I just wanted the album to kind of transcend, you know, what I, I wanted people to come away with like, oh, there's no doubt that this is good. Like, <laughs> I, which I realize is kind of a silly, because I mean, I, I thought the songs themselves were fine and we, it's not like we were writing them, writing the songs while we were in the studio. These were songs we had been playing for, you know, a long time. So we we're just trying to get those down on wax essentially. So that way we could, you know, ha have them be expressed in any sort of way, really. But I wanted to, you know, take those songs, you know, to a different level of audio, you know, like different level of the the ability to, in, like, experience them, I guess. Because we, besides Art Vandalay, that five-track EP, we didn't have anything. And we'd been playing for years at that point. You know, we we wanted to get a lot of stuff done. And I thought, you know, if I get this amazing sounding album with the songs that I, I think are good, uh, you know, a lot of doors would start opening for us. I guess that was the the vision, but I don't know if that really... I mean, in some ways, it probably helps to have good quality songs out there. Obviously, I was hoping it would open maybe a few more doors than it has, but no matter what, I would probably say that, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much, there's so much saturation, not just in music nowadays, and, and even back then, because that would have been like, what, 2013 or something like that? Yeah, the album released um, in 15, so 2012 to 15, probably. Yeah, there, there's so much saturation in entertainment now that it's, you know, just, just pushing out a song, um... Unless you, unless you just get really lucky, it's you know you need to have a um a a marketing push behind it, and I don't even really mean marketing push in the um kind of normative way, just more in terms of you know you, you look at say like the '90s or the early 2000s, you know the marketing push was radio and MTV. And then there were, you know, the, the live, the live tours, right? <clears throat> you know, your mm -hmm. live shows. And now, you know, the radio is pretty much out of the picture. Um, TV is completely out of the picture. So as a musician, now you're competing with uh, platforms where users have an entire buffet of choice. And it's yeah, not yeah. just music. There's stream, you know. It's how, how do you compete with, uh, you know, Game of Thrones? <laughs> you know, um, you know, you have, you know, you know, Breaking Bad, you know, Netflix, and then all these incredible video games coming out. And you know, if you're a musician, you know, if if you want to get a lot of people listening to your music, um, you really need to have something so unique to say that. Um, that they're gonna say, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose you over my ten thousand other options. Yeah, I mean, today. there's literally yeah. thousands of songs being uh, released every day. You know, so mm -hmm. how do you stand out with your one to one thousand? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, 
it, it's tough. I don't, I don't, I don't have any answer, obviously, or else maybe I'd be sitting somewhere else. But um, you know, so then it comes around to you know, I, I mean, I think with the idea of Design to Shine was like you know, make it undeniable that we were maybe artists and we were you know very make an album of very listenable music that could compete with stuff on the radio but you know that that doesn't really manifest like that like people aren't comparing it because people don't hear it you know I, if you've heard my album you're definitely or the unemployed architects album you you are in the minority for sure i mean most people will never hear that album so then it comes around to just creating art for art, I think, after that album. Because it's uh, like... And, well, I mean, you guys didn't really, you know, tour, right? And, you know, yeah. I was saying about the TVs out of the picture, radios out of the picture, you know, the primary the primary means, um, at least for rock bands, from what I understand, um, of, you know, getting exposure and getting a, a fan base is through touring, you know, opening up for other bands that already have fan bases. And well, it did. I think it did mean that, end, you know, and you guys didn't really, you know, have a a really formal like tour where you traveled for three or four months. So, yeah, I mean, some other I wouldn't, band and, I wouldn't yeah. say it was a formal tour, but we were playing every weekend. I mean, we played hundreds of shows a year, you know. So, I mean, is that touring? In the traditional sense, I'd say no. But the idea is that you, yeah. know, you, you open these doors to maybe get some... I, I don't know how you do a tour like that. I think you have to... Yeah. Like, doors have to be open for you, kind of, in some ways. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's, it's probably tough living in Bloomington because there was the Castle Theater, right? And, um, you know, sometimes bands would come through. And you guys played a lot of... And correct me if I'm wrong, but you played a lot of bars and you know that yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. which you know, which your the people at the bar, you know, their primary motive isn't you know music. to go to the bar and and listen to and discover music, you know, and at least from my my experience, right? Whereas yeah, you know, yeah. if you're on a, if you're on a tour with uh, you know some band that already has a following, you know, four or five days a night, you are in a music venue. And you have, you know, 500 or 1,000 people there who came there primarily as, you know, dedicated music fans to listen to music and discover music. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that's, to me, that's probably going to be the... It's going to have a better outcome. Yeah, and that's always kind of been the primary way for rock bands to get followings, you know. I mean, like Pantera didn't just start on the radio, you know. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. you know, like someone like, you know, Tina Turner or something, you know, they probably put out a record and then, you know, the record label was like, hey, radio stations, check this out. We'll give you some money. Play it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas rock bands have always been, you know, boots on the ground, um, you know, scraping by eating, uh, eating bologna sandwiches until, uh, you know, until uh, the radio stations had no choice but to you know, play them, you know, or, or whatever. But uh, it's, it's interesting to think about, though, because it's, it's even metal now and rock now, it's, there. there's just not, and it might just be me getting older as well, but 
th- there's just really not really a lot of on the ground music scenes anymore. And I don't know if that's just because everyone has internet, you know, everyone has TVs. Well, I I think it has, I think it has something to do with everybody has their own like curated art, artist library of, you know, very specific music. That's very specific to them individually, because there are so many options that, um, you know, you, you know, it's just like it's so everything spreads so thin. There's not like you know, ten songs on the radio that they just play over and over know. and over again that everybody knows. Yep. It's like you you have your art. Like I I like this band Saint Seneca. I'm sure I'm ninety percent sure you probably never heard of them before, right? Mm, nope. Right. So I I mean there, there's a lot of bands like that that you know, are, are one of like my favorite bands that nobody's even ever heard of before. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has kind of happened across the board in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a catch 22, you know, it's, there's, there's so many ways to get your music out now, but because of that, there's so many less ways to make a living off of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I, you know, I, I'm sure in a couple of years when all of the, um, you know, knock on wood, coronavirus stuff, you know, goes away, that um, maybe there'll be a bit of a resurgence. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I even personally, you know, I don't, I don't much like going to shows anymore unless it's just like a band that I have no choice but to see, you know, and right. Um, you know, there's I, I think there's definitely a youth youth element to live live music, um, and yeah, the youth now just has a uh, so many choices, so many yeah, so yeah. many options. It's pretty incredible. I can't imagine uh, like because I, I remember growing up and getting a CD, and you know, a CD costs like ten bucks or fifteen bucks, and you know, I would probably would have been like. 10 or 11 or something, you know, and it's like, wow, I got 20 bucks. I'm going to buy a CD. <laughs> and like, I would just listen to that CD for like months. Cause that was like, like, this is my CD. You know what I mean? It's not like I can't just like get on the internet and just like put on a random playlist or, you know, and hear anything you on, want at any time. Any, that yeah. You or like to surf to it. funny, <laughs> funny cat videos on YouTube for five hours. You know, it's, uh, you know, today there's there's just so much choice, and um, you know, I think if you're if you're wanting to make a living off doing art, if you're wanting to make a living off doing music, um, you know, you better have something very you know very unique and and real um, to say you know with your music. Um, otherwise, you know, you're just gonna get lost in the. Uh, Kind of the the desert, the desert then, of Spotify and YouTube. But then I think that that comes back to you know trying to make art to make art in a way. Mm-hmm. Not yep. that that's the only that's not my only motive. I would say, but I mean that's a part of it's definitely a big part of it. Is like, you know, I there, there there's a pretty high chance that I'm never going to be as successful as I would like to be with the music part of my life, but. I I mean, at least I had something to say, and I said it, if that makes sense. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, it, I enjoy, I enjoy the process a lot and it can be frustrating and be problematic in a lot of ways, like you were saying earlier, and you can, it can become a little bit of a job, yeah. but if I didn't enjoy the process of doing it, then there would be no point, you know? Yeah. You might as well just get a job. Yeah. Making, you know, X amount of dollars if you're going to be at the same kind of baseline level of happiness, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so before <laughs> before you go today, I definitely wanted to get into Montauk a little bit since that's uh, kind of the main reason to bring this uh-huh. up. Though, though I have, you know, wanted to talk to you on here for a little while. I just wanted to have a good excuse to do it, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, so uh, the, the way that started... I kind of talked about this on a, one I did recently, podcast I did recently, but I had like 12 or 15 new songs, and I came, and you just had me play them into a microphone, and uh, I was so just surprised at the one you picked to record. It was like a song I kind of thought, you know, I liked it, but it was like kind of like, you know, this would be a little bit of a B-side maybe, I don't know. But uh, what was there something specific that grabbed your attention on that song? Um, I remember it was that one and that Digital Soul one. Um, I felt like with Montauk that had the the most space to. Um, to fill in with melody and um, ambience, so to speak. And I think just at that time in my life, that was the kind of music I was listening to was kind of, you know, ambient power melody kind of stuff. And uh, I think that one just, you know, Montauk... uh, well, and we, def- we definitely level, yeah. we definitely filled the space. I don't think there's any yes. space left in that song. To no, uh, I put a <laughs> space analyzer plugin on it. It said zero, <laughs> zero left. Yes, uh, we we got a little nuts with that. And and I I said I said this before, but um, with uh, this song, be because of the you know haphazard way I kind of got around to getting together with you, which, you know, is completely on me, um, took about as long as the 14-track album we really... <laughs> took about three years yeah. to get done, which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I think the difference between now and then is uh, we both work full-time now, and um, that, that makes things more difficult. And, I mean, it's it's not like there's a deadline. I mean, I, we... Yeah. we I was releasing some other stuff that you, I think you helped me out with some of it. Eric from Eclipse helped me out with some of it on the mixing and mastering side, kind of simultaneously as us recording this song. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, <laughs> and just getting everybody in there, you know? I wanted to get uh-huh. uh, Kev in there, Dave in there, and Blair right. in there, and, you know, scheduling and just, I don't know. It's not a song I played live a lot either, so nobody really knew how to play, <laughs> play it necessarily going into it. Right. 
So it was like I, I had to like teach everybody the song that we had never played before, and then they'd have to come up with their parts to it, and then get them to record with you. Um, and then, you know, we'd, we we sat on so many mixes just waiting on other pe- people, I feel like, for so long that, mm-hmm. you know, that's really kind of what, you know, ma- besides my lackadaisicalness, I mean, as far as making it happen, but... I I but for as much as a B-side song as I thought that was like the I don't know I really ended up and liked it like a lot like the 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 mix you did sounds like really really good there's so much there's so many elements to it it's a very like interesting experience to listen to in good speakers and headphones for me anyway Yeah and it was it was different for for me too. I mean, as um, that's I think definitely the first time I've tried producing something of that kind of style. Right. So right. Um, it was. It didn't feel as formula, uh, like a formula, you know. So I, a, a lot of times I don't. I, I I don't write much anymore, really, music-wise, and a lot of it is because, you know, you, you get out of work and you come home and you're just like, eh, I want to, it's that, you know, choices, you know, yeah, I'm going to just play some video games. I don't want to solve yeah. music problems right now. But um, I, I tend to kind of get trapped in these formulas if I feel rushed, you know, and that's how I feel if it's like a Saturday. I'm like, well, I have one day today to write music for this whole yeah, week, yeah. so I need to hurry up and, and, and write something, you know. So you kind of start coming up, you know, oh, what can I put out here real quick? Oh, what are these formulas, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, here's the formula. Montauk, that that was nothing that I had ever really worked in before. So I had no formula in my head, like, this is what you have to do, and then this is what you have to do. So, you know, I found, I, you know, I found that process a lot, uh, a lot more interesting, and that's probably why, you know, I stuck with it. You know, yeah, and, and cheers to you from for doing that because I didn't make it easy to stick with. I don't think, but um, yeah, I a lot of the stuff you came up with in it, like as far as a lot of like the the synth and strings and drums and stuff, is stuff I would never would have even, you know, would it would if it was up to me to just do that song by myself, it would have came up a completely different thing a different animal completely so having you kind of there to make the song i don't know yeah i i just feel like you brought brought it to the next level maybe next 10 levels of what it would have been probably if i just did it myself 11 and uh you know i'm really happy with the way it turned out i think it's a pretty mm-hmm. cool tune. good yeah uh, a lot of and it, and it doesn't sound hours. like what's that a lot, of, a lot of hours put into it, so uh, yeah, it's good, and, to feel, it's good to feel good about it. And and it, you know, it doesn't sound like anything else I've ever done, you know. And all mm-hmm. I think it sounds completely different. It's, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say it's completely original or anything, but it's a, a collaboration of a lot of different things. And so and that gives it like a pretty unique sound in some ways, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, kind of mixing and mac matching different genres and stuff to make it kind of its own its own things but yeah i don't know i think it turned out really well and uh i I, you know it's funny i 
we talked about doing that video for a long time, and then um, eventually you were like, ah, I'll just do the picture for it, and you did that picture to for the single release, and never have I ever had so many people be like, hey, you know, I really like that, that new uh, UA. Well, the, the, the logo you did. The oh, UA yeah, the UA logo. thing, yeah. And you were excited about it when you did it, and I was like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. <laughs> and then I, I put like I posted it and stuff, and I got like you know four or five people, which doesn't ever happen when I really really song the songs uh, point out that specific. I mean, the whole picture is very very cool and very detailed and you know a really nice graphic, and it goes along with the song in a lot of ways. But the the UA part of it for some reason mm. really stuck out to people, I guess. <laughs> That's your like your first logo, yeah. <clears throat> so you're talking first, about the the U with the A over overlaying the U, yeah, so it lo- yeah. or the U overlays the U, so it looks like an A. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so good eyes on that. I would have never would have never even thought about that. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't uh, know why it just popped in my head once I was like, hey, a UA, and uh, yeah, not much thinking to it. Sometimes it was like that that uh that little cut you know um in the song where the we put on the, oh, uh, yeah, the yeah. low pass yeah we put on the low pass filter and then there's the I don't bell, know if the, the I, church yeah, bell, bell reverse thing and um the, the you know sometimes a lot symbol. of the yeah sometimes a lot of the cool um cool stuff just happens you know it's like I mean you can try to think all day and you know, mess around with stuff all day, but sometimes, you know, I think the coolest ideas are just ideas that just happen, you know? Yeah. Well, and that, well, that, that, that. I, I like that and that song too, in the same way you were talking about, you know, kind of earlier with the they mixes were, and taking, taking a, break, a break, that, that filter you put on that one spot, it like weirdly gives your ear a break from just the same frequencies mm-hmm. that you've been hearing the whole song. Yeah, and then it, then it like resets it with that bell head and the the reverse symbol. It was just yeah, and you just did that like last minute, like in the last day we recorded it, and it it really changed the song in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of gave it a bit more uh, some dynamics and yeah, yeah. That's uh, you play the same pattern over and over. Your brain figures it out, and your brain's like, "I need another pattern to solve, another problem to solve." So it's it's kind of interesting with music, is uh, even in songs, you know, songs need to kind of present the uh, brain problems. And if if you figure out a song too quickly, you're you're gonna get bored with the song. Like, yeah, I got the song figured out. You know? right? Like tension resolution, tension resolution. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Resolution, resolution. You can't, you can't just keep doing that same pattern over and over and over again, or else it right. just gets too repetitive. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, I, I wanted to say thank you for you know spending the time on that song and coming up with all the awesome extra stuff in it. And uh, I don't know. I, I I appreciate what you do and what you have always been doing for me and with me and um you know i i don't you probably don't say it say it enough you know but uh thank you i mean you, you spent a lot of time on that song and uh you know 
I don't think a lot of people maybe would have stuck with it. And um, in a lot of ways, I think you're like the unofficial fifth member of the Unemployed Architects because you've been right there with us for so long. I appreciate it, yeah. Um, you know, you guys do a lot of the heavy lifting with uh, <laughs> the writing, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I for the most part, you know, I... I like sitting down and just mixing, and you need tracks to mix, so... Right, right, right. Thank you for the tracks. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I think we could talk for another probably hour and a half if we had to, so we should maybe do that at some point. But uh, for now, let's uh, may- maybe give everybody who stuck around this far an ear break. Yeah. Let them yeah. cleanse their palate. <laughs> and, I think uh, our, next podcast, our next podcast episode is going to be about aliens. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We'll, secret, we'll get into uh, government. The, the the conspiracy theories next time. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut cut it off here. I appreciate you. I appreciate all you do, and uh, um, I'm sure we'll we'll do this again at some point. And as always, I want to thank everybody who takes the time to listen. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Hey, uh, I just want to yeah. you know tell everyone to buy my book. <laughs> All right, all right. What's your I book? I don't, I don't have a book. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we'll, we'll promote that after you write it on this podcast. <clears throat> yeah, I, I need some funding first, so you can go to my Patreon. Uh, find me on uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, buy my book, and uh, send me money. You forgot TikTok. You're TikTok, TikTok, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, anyway, thanks, and uh, you know, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. See ya.